Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. Age-Related Macular Degeneration, or AMD, is the leading cause of adult vision loss in the U.S. It affects 1 in 14 over the age of 40. When caught early, there is time to take corrective action. Ask your eye doctor to test your dark adaptation speed using the Adapt DX Pro from Maculogics. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Wellness practitioners, sometimes known as a health coach, is a supportive mentor helping clients reach personal wellness goals. Today's guest, Vanessa Cafayeo, became a health coach because of a deep personal story. This gave her the motivation to open Emerge Integrative Wellness in Massapequa, New York. Vanessa, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Carrie. So tell me, what is a health coach? I, I like to describe the difference between a health coach and maybe going to a therapist is the the job of a coach is to help empower and then guide an individual into doing things to take control of their health, their wellness. A lot of times it gets mixed up with, you know, going to a therapist or a psychiatrist because one of the main root causes of a lot of the things that we face in our physical health is, is starting in our minds. So a coach isn't the person to necessarily, um, go through your childhood and everything else to deconstruct psych, you know, psychological things, but to see what your patterns are that are keeping you in a place that is less than optimal and then help you construct a path so you could take a proactive approach in, in getting yourself feeling better physically, mentally, and emotionally. How do you think a health coach could integrate into the healthcare system? I think our healthcare system, uh, aside from being very symptom-based and and uh, here's a pill to fix this thing. The one thing that is missing that makes a big difference in our health outcomes is we don't empower our patients or our clients to take control of their own health. Um, as a massage therapist, I see people for muscular pain and I'll give them a tool and I ask them, I'm like, are you going to use this or you're wasting your money? Um, and a lot of them come in and they want me to fix the problem for them. That's a very Western medicine uh viewpoint on how things work, but until you get someone doing things on a daily basis to change their lifestyle, you're never going to see the same long-term effects as, as going into someone and using a practitioner the same way you use a pill. I'm going to come in, I'm going to see you, I'm going to fix you, and then go on your way. It, it doesn't work that way from my experience. So how could the public be able to use the best of both worlds, Eastern medicine and Western medicine, and get the best out of both? Well, I, I could give an example with a, a client I saw the other day. You know, there is a need sometimes for symptom management. Say somebody, I'm going to use like stress and anxiety, for example. Say someone is having such a terrible anxiety attack that they can't manage to do all of the holistic things that are going to change their system. 
to do something holistically is usually more of a long-term uh, and it's going to affect your Hey, I be they do something that's going to get them out of this state of 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 panic and out of uh, acute symptoms. And then over time, integrating holistic approaches will get them to a place where their body is is able to self-regulate better. But but there is there is a need for symptom management. The problem is we use symptom management as our long-term care, if that makes sense. At what age do you think somebody could benefit from a health coach? You know, in my opinion, if we change, this could be a whole other topic. If we changed our school system, it, it wouldn't be as, as much of an issue now. I think children don't learn rudimentary life skills in, in school where it's like, how do you make a choice to eat something? How do you know if you're eating something because you are having a bad day and someone picked on you or if it's something that your body really needs? So I, I think right now um, in the, the state of the world that we're in, even younger children can use a little bit of guidance um, to make better choices. That said, I think the unlearning process is what takes more time. So adults need a coach to maybe unlearn some of the habits they've gone into. Over time, education can make us not need an individual coach as much. And then it might be depending on a, a situation if something really big comes up, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I see that like younger and younger kids and more and more kids are starting to do things to help their health like yoga. You know, now we're seeing younger people do that. Why do you think that is? So the message must be getting out. Absolutely. I remember when I took my first yoga class, I was, I was 14 years old and yoga wasn't popular. It was just something I heard from someone else that might help with my back pain because I had scoliosis as a, as a child, young adult. And uh, now I think because it's come, become more mainstream, it's, it's cool or it's in. And then over time, because you, ha you have to get people in the door to get the benefits of it. And Yoga works, you know, regulating your nervous system is what it does. If you think about it from a scientific, you know, Western medicine perspective, yoga from the moving to the breathing to the focus, it regulates your nervous system. And at the end of the day, our nervous system is the control house of all of our health outcomes. So people start feeling better. What gets them in? You know, I don't care if it's a, a picture on, you know, uh, Instagram or a YouTube video that makes it a little bit more trendy. There's no way not to do it and not feel uh, there's no way to do it and not feel the benefits on your nervous system. And that's where all of the other health outcomes, you know, start to unfurl. And you have a master's degree in Chinese medicine, acupuncture. What are some of the main philosophies of Chinese medicine that's different than Western medicine? You know, this is interesting. Uh, I took a, a research class, you know, finishing up my degree. And a, a big part of it was saying, why can't you use Western medicine double-blind studies to prove the efficacy of acupuncture? Because if you look at anecdotal evidence, it's, it's amazing some of the outcomes we've seen. And it's because the two approaches are so different. So you can't use um, one methodology to prove something else when the, the whole methodology is different. In Western medicine, we see, I think we see disease itself and symptoms themselves as a problem instead of looking at that as just the sign of an internal imbalance. 
And if you were to take Western medicine research, we will have a, um, we will have a, a, a symptom of something and we see the symptom as the, the main thing we're going to focus on. And then from there, we take our, our uh, different, you know, medicines or treatments and everything else. And we want to see this one medicine or this one treatment will fix the symptom. What we don't acknowledge, which is the Eastern medicine perspective, is that that same symptom can be coming from an array of different places. I, I use, I'm a massage therapist, for example, and uh, we would see massage as more holistic, but holistic doesn't mean something is natural, not using drugs. Holistic means it's addressing the whole body. I can have the same uh, the same symptom in three different clients, and one of them I might not use massage. So someone has a headache. It could be because they're dehydrated. It could be because they have muscle tension, and it could be because they have stress. If someone's dehydrated, it doesn't matter how long I rub your head. Your headache is not going to go away. A massage would be a great treatment in the case of you know neck tension. If your scalenes or the the neck muscles are tight, that can usually leave trigger points that make tension in your head. But just because you have a headache doesn't mean a massage is going to work. So when we go to Western medicine studies and we're like, does massage work for headaches? Well, it may or it may not, depending on what caused the headache in the first place. And I think that's where we have the big divide or separation between the two. I mean, that's a good point because there could be a thousand causes of headaches anywhere from a brain tumor to eye not wearing glasses to, you know, stress. So you mentioned massage. Uh, there's many different types of massage. There's Swedish massage, deep tissue, myofascial. Can you explain the different types of massage? Again, massage is a great umbrella term. And depending on the effect you're looking to have, you, you may do, use a different modality. A Swedish massage is generally the massage people are going to experience when they go to a spa or they're looking for relaxation. It's a great way to, you know, get some blood flow into your muscles, increase circulation. And at the end of the day, there is a huge benefit because massage therapy is generally relaxing and relaxation is going to have an effect on your nervous system. And I'm sure you understand this. We have two aspects of our nervous system. We have our fight and flight nervous system, which we operate in all day. What we don't realize is our other nervous system is the rest, digest, and repair. So relaxation is what allows our body to actually heal itself, you know, go through all of those repair mechanisms. So a Swedish massage, even though it's more about relaxation and circulation, can be very healing. Something I specialize in myofascial release, that's not targeting the muscles as much as your fascia. And very interesting when you hear different diseases as fibromyalgia and, you know, different chronic pain scenarios. Fascia is not something that shows up on a scan and we're getting more and more information about that now and doctors are becoming more open minded into seeing how the connective tissue around our muscles can have an effect. So myofascial release may not be the most relaxing treatment, but it's going to affect those other areas. Uh, one of the other modalities that I've studied and, and I specialize in is called cranial sacral therapy. It, it's more of an osteopathic technique that balances out the head and the, the low back and will help with the flow of cerebral spinal fluid. That I used after uh, a brain injury and that helped with nervous system regulation, but each different modality has a different effect. And how about Thai massage, polarity, shiatsu? How does that fit in? So Thai massage and shiatsu, Thai massage more from Thailand, shiatsu is going to be more of a, a Japanese version of a Chinese medicine meridian line uh, approach to using uh, those lines in the, the healing of the body. Um, those situations, you'll be more clothed, it's more stretching. And when you're stretching, 
again, you can think of it from a very physical perspective. When you're stretching, good things are happening to your muscles. When you're stretching, if you do believe in fascial lines, which sync up with our nerve roots, which sync up with our Chinese medicine meridian lines, you can be having a more subtle energetic effect as well. Uh, I think when we get in our, our tunnel vision of thinking that you do one thing and you get one result, we miss that every modality is going to be affecting different areas and aspects and layers of our being by, by doing one thing. So the physical stretch can also open up our for example, you're stretching your hamstrings, you're opening up your bladder meridian, which can affect low back pain, but also can have to do with fear and the somato-emotional things that come up with it. I want to tell you a personal story that happened to me. Uh, I guess it's about 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer. I actually was falling down. I fell down the steps, but I grabbed the railing and I hurt my back. And uh, I went to the it was months. There was nothing I could do to get the, my back better. I went to chiropractors. I went to conventional doctors, you know, different types of, you know, I tried different medication, everything, you know, I was about to get an injection. And then I went for, after seven months, you know, I supposedly I had a uh, piriformis syndrome. Now, of course, this is an N01. Uh, and I, someone said, you should try myofascial massage or myofascial release. So I went to this place near where I lived after seven months of not really being able to walk more than three steps. And the only, you know, I, I think a lot of people that have back pain kind of like me, of course, I'm an eye doctor, I'm not an expert in back pain, but I would have, I would walk three steps and then I'd have to squat and that would give me relief. And then I would squat for a couple seconds and then I'd be up, then I would start walking again. Uh, and, you know, I always thought to myself, gee, you know, I, Luckily, I'm healthy enough to squat. What happens if I was older and I couldn't squat? I would be in this horrible pain. I wouldn't be able to get out of this pain. But I went to this, this uh, person who specialized in myofascial massage. And she, I did an hour session after seven months. I have to say it was an hour of excruciating torture or pain. I walked out of there. I was at least 50 to 70% better after one treatment. I went back after they, you know, they said, come back a week later. And I went through another torture treatment for another hour and I was completely better. And I was supposed to keep going back, but it was a, it was a little too painful. So I did it, but I was better. So my, my question is, I mean, I, I'm just very grateful for someone recommending to, for me to get myofascial massage. I don't know if 10 years would have gone by and I still would have back pain now. But is it supposed to be that painful or, it, or yes, that's the way it is and you just have to deal with it? So I know different practitioners have a different approach. I can only speak from my experience. Fascial work is, has nothing to do with the amount of pain you're in or how deep it is. It's just a technique. And it actually can be very gentle depending on the practitioner that you're going to. Uh, sometimes you know, more pressure is what's really, really uh, beneficial for somebody, depending on what's going on with their body. What I've seen is, you know, when I was, when I first started doing massage therapy, I'm, I'm working as a massage therapist for 15 years almost. Um, I used to think more is more. And over time, I've realized that at the end of the day, you're not opening someone's fascia with your hands. You're doing something to trigger a response to their nervous system. And when their nervous system calms down, the tissue is going to release. That, that's why what you know I think you were mentioning before about you know different people having pain in their body and there's an emotional component to it as well. Our fascia, you ever hear the the 
the uh, phrase that people will say that like, you know, there's the issues in your tissues. And I think that's a very rudimentary way of describing something because your emotions are not actually stored in your connective tissue, but every piece of connective tissue in your body is hooked up to nerves, which are connected to your central nervous system. So sometimes it could be releasing something gently with like gentle touch that will allow your nervous system to say, hey, I'm safe and I can let go. Sometimes if you have a lot of scar tissue and if you have a lot of inflammation, even the most gentle pressure will be very painful, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the person beating you up and trying to like work out your tissue with their hands because it's affecting the nervous system more than actually tearing apart the muscles or the, the connective tissue, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, regardless, I'm very grateful for what she <laughs> was able to do for me. Uh, can you go? Can you re explain a little bit more deeply about craniosacral and for people that have had injuries and how that could be used? And is that is that something that's soft? Is that something uh, that uses blocks? How, how do you do that? So I'll say I, I found I heard of craniosacral therapy when I was in massage school, and after. About 11 years ago, I incurred a brain injury and a, a neurologist told me that I would have a learning disability and a speech delay for the rest of my life. So I really didn't want to hear his solution as to how to cope with that. I was like, Western medicine at that point in time wasn't working for me. I want to find another solution. So I found a cranial sacral therapist. And this technique is actually rooted in, in osteopathic medicine. So I, I know if someone becomes a DO instead of an MD, um, working with the bones and getting the structure of the body is part of that um, education. So basically the, the condensed version of what's happening is you have your occiput, which is the smallest, it's the lowest bone at the base of your skull. We think of our skull as one bone, but it's actually a lot of bones fused together. And then you have your sacrum, which is the furthest bone down at the base of your spine. And what surrounds your, your, your cranium or your skull and your spinal cord and your sacrum is connective tissue known as the dura mater. Inside of that connective tissue is cerebral spinal fluid. When we have trauma, it will not only create restrictions in the bones, like you go to a chiropractor, you crack your back, you hear it's like a, a high velocity adjustment and there's a bigger thing happening and then you feel better. But we don't necessarily have that much movement in our skull. That doesn't mean that our bones can't be misaligned. And when there's a misalignment in our bones or there's trauma in a different area, the cerebral spinal fluid does not flow correctly. I'll tell you when I was going, this is one of those things, when I was going for sessions, I would barely feel the practitioner doing stuff because they say it's about five grams of pressure that you use. Because if you think about a fluid system, it's hydraulic. If you press too hard, nothing's going to flow. So it's ways of using different pressure on the bones of your skull to open up space between the temporal bones or the occipital or the frontal bone. And it felt like nothing was going on, but I'll tell you in a few months, I was going for sessions three times a week. Um, I was walking in a straight line again because I had some uh, you know, vestibular issues. I was, it took me about a year to, to learn how to read again, but this was something that the neurologist said would be impossible. And I would go for sessions and I would feel that I had more mental clarity after it. So that's all anecdotal evidence, but it, because of that, it's something that I have gotten into myself and I treat a lot of patients with post-concussion and migraines and head trauma. And I can't say the be all end all that this is the cure, but anecdotally, I've seen a lot of symptom relief and, and positive effects with the patients that I see. So go into a little bit more detail about what happened to you and why you got into this type of work. So I, uh, I was very fortunate that I had the understanding of holistic medicine to a certain degree before I got into this car accident. I was already a massage therapist. I 
was a health coach or halfway through my health coaching certification. I was finishing up my degree in exercise science. Uh, creative writing didn't really sync up with being a massage therapist. So I, I changed course and I was maybe going to go into physical therapy. And it's interesting. I, I finished my first yoga teacher training on a Sunday. I'm a little bit of a hustler. So I picked up my first class on a Thursday and I had an in-home massage after that. And it was Memorial Day weekend on the way home. I was driving a two-door little stick shift coupe and a Dodge Durango. It was younger girls blowing a light. We're going 50 and a 30 and they T-boned my car. Um, I don't remember much. I have like flashes. I, you know, people talk about near-death experiences. I do have a recollection of seeing my body on the floor from outside of myself. Mm. Um, I have a flash of being in the ambulance. And then I woke up in the hospital. You wouldn't believe it now, but I had 39 stitches to the right side of my face. I don't remember this, but apparently I was pulling out the IVs because they were trying to give me morphine. I'm like, don't give me your drugs. So even, even with brain damage, I was you know, still in that more holistic mindset. And uh, when I woke up, not only was I in excruciating pain because I wouldn't let them give me the morphine, I couldn't talk right. Um, something called nominal aphasia, I had damage to my parietal bone. So nominal aphasia means instead of, like I was able to talk, but instead of saying floor, I would say flower or words that were similar would come out of my mouth. I had all of my long-term memory, but my short-term memory was gone. And I also had frontal lobe brain damage, which meant you wouldn't believe it if you saw one flew over the cuckoo's nest, I would meditate and everything before that, I was cursing at squirrels and I would watch myself, like I had no impulse control. So it, it was really interesting to see that I thought I knew myself before that, but instantaneously my personality changed. I would see things that would, you know, I would feel one way about and I felt completely which is, the, the, which is the, the center of your brain, which had to do a lot with, you know, balancing left and right. Um, I went to a neurologist. He, he was a little condescending to me, probably because I sounded like a crazy person. And he didn't understand that I actually, as a massage therapist, you have to take neurology. So I understood, I had a, a rudimentary understanding of what he was talking about. And I was like, but can I get better? What do I have to do? And he just told me at the time, this was 11 years ago, he's like, brain cells don't grow back. You have to learn how to cope. And uh, I did not like that answer. I had frontal lobe brain damage. I let out a few expletives and then I did everything against medical advice. I got cranial sacral therapy three times a week for the better part of a year. I got lots of massage. I took omegas. I did everything natural. I tell people, I, they don't wanna hear it. I used essential oils on my face. You can't tell that I have scars at this point. And I also, the big thing for me was I signed up for a 10 day silent meditation retreat. So because of all the cerebral hemorrhaging, they said that yoga, exercise, I was finishing my degree in exercise science, all of that might give me an aneurysm because I had so much bleeding on my brain. So I basically was forced to be sedentary and my ego at the time was like, I'm gonna be the best sitter ever if that's what I can do. And in the course of this 10 day silent meditation retreat, the, the real take home for me was, I mean, sitting is not comfortable. It isn't. People go to yoga classes to be able to sit comfortably because it'll, you know, induce back pain. But what was amazing when you're sitting for a long period of time and you are told not to move and, and I'm an overachiever, so I didn't move. I'd see excruciating pain in my back. And then after like 45 minutes of focusing on it, it would go away and then I'd have a pain in my shoulder. 
Then the pain in my shoulder would go away and I'd have this moment of pleasure wash over me that only lasted for a second and then I had eye pain. And then I had another thought, but doing nothing for an extended period of time, I was able to see how pain in my body would move, which gave me a, a firsthand account of, wow, this must be mental to some degree because I'm not doing anything and my experience is shifting. And for me after that, I was like, it, it gave me such a great understanding of how the mind works because pain at the end of the day is coming from our nervous system. And we try to treat our physical body but we don't really make the focus our nervous system. If I could sit down for 10 hours and then by the end of it, I was in less pain after 10 hours of doing nothing than I was after doing all the yoga classes and everything else. Because I started after a while of realizing that I'm actually creating my experience. Um, and and that, was, that was my experience. And then, you know, after you defy what the doctors say, I just felt really inclined. I'm like, this is my life's work. I have to share that there's another way for other people. If you hear that there's no solution, I found out that there was for me. And I, and because the mind is so powerful, I can't imagine how many people hear that there's no solution. They believe it and then they become it because that is the input that they're putting into their nervous system. Now, well, what a story that is. How long did it take you, do you think, to kind of get back to your yourself? Uh, you know, it's funny. I tell people the first book I read after the um, accident I was in was My Stroke of Insight. I don't know if you read about it, but it was a neurologist who saw herself having a stroke and, and she wrote about it after. Um, it took me about a year before I was able to read a book and comprehend. I'd say it took about five years. I used to be that kid that would read a three, 400 page book in a night. So I, I was, you know, I've I, my mother teases that I got a 399 when I graduated college after brain damage because I did get one A minus after my accident. So it was a big process of learning how to get back to where I was. And I'd say there's there's certain things that aren't the same. If I have TV playing on in the background and someone's trying to talk to me and I'm stressed, it drives me nuts. And then there's some things that I am better now than I ever was before. Because even though the, the doctor that I went to said brain cells might not grow back, which I might agree or disagree, neuroplasticity says you have so many infinite ways of creating new neurological pathways that maybe I've tapped into later that I didn't tap into before. Um, physically, it, it was a good couple of years. Uh, about five years ago, I had a synovial cyst and I was using a walker for a, a couple of months because apparently I had some instability in my spine. So I have to be mindful about, you know, when, when you hurt something, you have to take care of it. But I can say I was a teenager who was in a chiropractor three times a week uh, growing up because of scoliosis. And I'll be 35 this year and I don't have back pain. Do I have things that come up sometimes that I have to take care of? Sure. But uh, self-care is my lifestyle that I feel faster and better shape and out of pain more, you know, at 35 than I ever did at 20. Um, and that's after a really damaging accident. Uh, to get back to, uh, to massage therapy, you know, there have been studies done, you know, there's been, there's been nine, uh, a meta-analysis of nine studies, 400 people to show that uh, massage therapy definitely can help with pain, anxiety, depression. Uh, Anecdotally, do you, is that things that you see from, you know, to say, is that study correct? Do you find that to be true? A hundred percent. You know, it's interesting. In the beginning, I'll, I used to see clients that would come in and see me for pain, and then they would feel better after they were in pain. What's amazing is the clients that make their 
next appointment. And I'd say 90% of my clients don't leave without rebooking. Even if they're not in pain, they get something on the schedule because when they do get into pain, they're not in as bad of pain and it lasts for less time. In terms of the, the mental and emotional aspects, I'm going to give you a very, very um, simple dumbed down analogy that I, I give a lot of time when I teach a, I teach a somatic psychology uh, module in my yoga teacher training that I instruct. And th this sounds simple, uh, but I see clients like this all the time. So we have Susie who's driving in her car and her sister calls her up and says, I'm having an affair with your husband. Terrible, right? And at the same time, she's hearing about this affair. She gets rear-ended and she gets whiplash and she comes in to see me. And Susie is seeing me week after week and we, we get a little bit of, of, of benefit, but she's still in pain. A year later, the chick still has neck pain. But that later that week, she is at her, her job, Susie's a teacher, and her best friend took all of the information that she was going to use to get a promotion, got the promotion over her, and I don't know, Susie fell down the stairs, you know, she tripped over something and she sprained her ankle. So I see Susie the next week, and now we're not working on her neck, and we're working on her ankle. And as I'm working on her ankle, she tells me the story about how her friend betrayed her and how she really trusted her, but she went behind her back and she betrayed her. And then at the end of the session, yes, she still has to heal maybe six more weeks from her sprained ankle, but for the first time in a year, her neck pain was gone. And I cannot begin to tell you how many clients I see, not even for uh, pain physically, but for somato-emotional things. I have a hypnotist and a therapist that send me some of their patients all the time because it was when she tapped into the nervous system uh, integration that our nervous system, again, our nerves are connected to our fascia that said at that time of her accident, even though she did get whiplash, it was a physical thing. It wasn't made believe. Um, she was in an energy of feeling betrayed by her sister. And even though she was over it, even though she got a divorce, whatever, it didn't matter in her conscious mind, there was still a sub and unconscious connection to what happened. And, and it's, it's amazing to me how many times people want to talk forever about all of their trauma and they feel like they're over it, but it's still showing up and physical pain is the best way for it to show up. What about the diseases that maybe you don't feel physically, but end up being cancer and arthritis and everything else in your body? Because at the end of the day, our nervous system is what maintains homeostasis or balance. And I'm not saying it's, it's a one-to-one -one correlation here, but it's been phenomenal to me to see how many people will have that experience. This, uh, the Society for Integrative Oncology has recommended that cancer patients uh, have massage. Do you see many cancer patients that come in for massage and does that help them get through some of the treatment that they're going through? So I would say I've seen cancer patients before. It's not necessarily what I'm doing all the time. It depends on the other ways that they are approaching their cancer. So if someone is going through chemotherapy, I would not recommend a Swedish massage because the point of a Swedish massage is to increase circulation and chemotherapy, especially if it's targeted, you don't necessarily want all of that poison. I mean, it's poisoning the cancer is, is what people say, streaming throughout your body. However, there are ways like you were talking about with myofascial release or cranial sacral therapy. It's going to be relaxing. I'm going to target your nervous system, but I'm not necessarily increasing circulation in a musculoskeletal type way. Um, even doing modalities that are more energy work-based is a way of promoting deep relaxation without doing something that is going to increase circulation. Now, if someone's not going for chemotherapy and they're doing a different approach or they have a, a different way of targeting their cancer and it's not something that's going to be a contraindication to increase circulation, 
um, then I would say a Swedish massage might be great, but it depends on the person and how they're approaching their, their treatment. Let's switch to flow therapy, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, flow therapy. So I know you have flow therapy in your facility. It was actually developed back in the 50s. This isn't something that's new. Explain what float therapy is and how it could be beneficial. So float therapy is creating basically a sensory deprivation chamber to, to, the, to the nth degree. Not only is it completely dark and completely silent in there, the water is heated to exact skin temperature. We're 98.6 degrees, give or take, inside. Our skin, excuse me, is about 94, 95 degrees. So we heat the water to the exact temperature of your skin. And then it's a thousand pounds of Epsom salts inside of the pod. So you are literally floating on the water. What that does is it takes out sound, it takes out light, it takes out even the pressure on your joints. And that allows for a complete restricted environment where you're not getting the input of any of your senses on your nervous system. Um, we could talk about the benefits of Epsom salts. You know, it's funny. I remember taking a pharmacology class when I was in school for acupuncture and we're learning about all these drugs and our teacher's like, you know, the dentist tells you to rinse with salt water because salt basically kills everything. So it is very just sanitary and detoxifying salt, um, you know, more so. So that's, that's cleansing as it is. Um, I would say from a muscular skeletal standpoint, we have gravity working on us all the time. You know, why does your low back go out when you get um, older? It's because it's the lowest part of your spine and gravity is pressing on those joints. You know, that's why we have the anti-gravity here. We go upside down that takes pressure off your spine. Beans will also take that spine. But then to me, it all comes back to the nervous system. When you don't have sound, when you don't have light, when you don't have pressure on your joints, it allows you to get into what they call true rest, um, where the nervous system, the, the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest, digest, repair, really gets to help heal other parts of your body. Um, it's, it's incredible. There's been some studies that show that it improves sleep and helps athletes recover by doing flow therapy. Uh, how long do people usually go in there for? I know some float centers, you could go in for up to two hours. Um, I'm in New York and I can barely get people to sit still for 30 minutes. So we do our sessions for an hour. Um, I, I, I usually encourage people to do a three pack though. I, I use my mother, for example, the first time she floated, we had an intercom and she calls up. She's like, how long have I been in this thing? And we're like, it's 15 minutes. By the third time she floated, she fell asleep because she's not used to, she, she's a, a New York Sicilian woman who's you know used to being around and talking all the time. So she wasn't used to being calm and that really made her see all of the thoughts in her mind. But with more time, she was able to calm down um, and, and really get, get the benefits of it. And she says it's been great for pain. Um, I could say anecdotally, my mom's cousin is someone, and, and again, I can't say this isn't a double blind study, but this is anecdotally what happened. Um, she's had three spine surgeries. She has lupus, she has rheumatoid arthritis. She was cut off from um, her pain doctors who were like, there's nothing else we could do. This is a woman who took more Dilaudid a day, not because she was on heroin, but because she was in severe chronic pain. This was like palliative treatment. Um, the first time she came to float, my mother's like, is there anything we could try? I'm like, well, let's just try a different approach. The first time she came to float, she was here with a walker. Her husband had to get her in and out of the float because she physically couldn't step over the float on her own. This is about two years later. She now doesn't even use a cane and she walks here, uh, she drives here by herself. 
And this is someone that the Western medicine doctor said, there is nothing else we can do for you to get you out of pain. She gets a massage once a week. She floats two to three times a week and is not only not using a walker with a hunchback anymore, she's able to literally drive here again. And this is a woman in her seventies that was saying, if she wasn't so religious, she's like, I was contemplating ending my life because every day was such severe pain. There, there was no quality of life anymore. And, and I'm not going to like go and say like float therapy heals everybody. I'm one of those people when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. But I have seen what people would say is a miracle right in front of my eyes with holistic treatments with no side effects. And there has been studies to show that float therapy does decrease uh, stress, uh, muscle tension, depression. So there have been some studies that show that it has been effective. Uh, what Before you float, what are some of the things that you need to know that you want to try to avoid? Is it caffeine or eating? What do you have to know before you do it? It comes down to the nervous system again. It's the rest, digest, and repair. So if you're digesting food, you're not going to be using the energy for healing and you want to optimize it. So you don't want to be hungry where you're starving the whole time, but I wouldn't eat for maybe two hours before. So your body is in that space where all of the energy can be going to repairing. I wouldn't have caffeine. I wouldn't go in using any other stimulants or anything that's going to affect your, your nervous system. Um, I wouldn't shave your legs because it is a thousand pounds of salt. And I've done that before, even just cleaning it. I'm like, oh, wow. So if you shave your legs, it's going to burn. It's not going to be too relaxing. Um, and it, it is a, a, a float thing and there's a lot of salt. So if you're a woman and you just dyed your hair, I would wait until there's no more hair dye because it's going to strip it. Um, other than that, if it's something that's approved by your doctor, I know that, you know, um, in, in kidney failure or kidney diseases, sometimes there might be a contraindication. It depends on the person and the scenario. I would just, you know, get it clear with your doctor, but I've even had pregnant women float and say, that was amazing to take some pressure off my low back. So it, it's all about the relationship they have with their doctor and if there's any contraindications, but it's very accessible to a lot of people. So I guess it's okay for pregnant women if they're if it's okay by their doctor. I've understood there's like some kind of bonding between the baby and the mother when they're floating. It's almost like they're in a similar, uh, they're kind of in a similar situation. You think the baby's floating <laughs> around in the amniotic sac or you know the fluid in the in the uterus? So the mother's floating at the same time, and that's probably creating a resonance to some degree. Let's talk about sauna, infrared sauna. Uh, tell me the difference between infrared sauna and uh, traditional sauna. So a traditional sauna is going to give you uh, the benefit of heat and heat does have a lot of benefits. Uh, you know, sweating is one of the best ways to detoxify our system. Uh, however, the infrared sauna doesn't have the same inflammatory effect. So when you go into the infrared sauna, um, it can really help reduce toxins, but I, I could see depending on the, the, what's going on internally, someone who has an inflammatory thing going on may not fare well in a regular sauna, but in an infrared sauna, it's not going to have um, the same inflammatory effect. Um, it is, they say seven times more detoxifying than traditional heat. So you're gonna be getting more of a detox effect. I've just seen it's really, really good for pain. Because with infrared sauna, you don't need to have as high a heat as you do with a, a Swedish sauna or a traditional sauna. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Um, you know, some people, again, placebo effect is everything where, you know, if you believe something works, it, it does work. <laughs> and I, I think it's actually a shame that we haven't had a study on just studying the placebo effect because that would help people with their health outcomes. 
So some people go in and they're like, nothing happened because I wasn't sweating enough. But if I educate them, I'm like, it doesn't have to be that hot. And you know, when it gets really hot, you're increasing the heart rate so, so much because your body has to adapt to that, that um, someone who's heat sensitive can go into the sauna if they, you know, like a woman in menopause who may not want to be in a room at, at 150 degrees can keep it at 110 and they're still getting effects. I think that's good. Uh, Rhonda Patrick, who's a PhD, who uh, you might have heard of, she she does a lot of lecturing and she has a podcast. She talks about the benefit of infrared sauna and the cardiovascular benefits of it, and that people that go into infrared saunas or even uh, or Swedish sauna, any type of sauna, can decrease their all-cause mortality or risk of a heart attack by up to fifty percent. And you have you have people that come to you just to try to, that are a little bit at higher risk for certain types of health conditions that are coming because they want to detoxify or for prevention to do the infrared sauna? I would say it depends on the person, uh, what we're doing here. And it goes back to what we were discussing before. There's no, it's not like everybody who has heart disease go in the sauna that's going to be good for you. Um, however, I've seen that some people, a lot of the clients that come here, they're just looking to optimize their health. I can't say if it's just the sauna or if it's the float pod or the yoga classes, but I'll tell you a lot of the, the clients that I see, especially the men who come here and they're, you know, 40s, 50s, you know, 60s, they're like, my doctor said my blood pressure went down. They said my cholesterol is becoming more regulated. And, and some of them I'll see for health coaching, but a lot of them are just having an integrative approach. So I don't have any anecdotal evidence to say this person was coming in just for the sauna and that's what regulated their heart. But most of the clients that come in here don't just come for one thing. And we're really good at helping to customize for people a plan that's going to be addressing what's going on with them. But I could never look at heart disease and say, hey, go into the sauna, that's going to help you. I'm going to look at the person and say, hey, what's What's the reason why you have heart disease? If it's because you're, you know, a type A person who's always stressed, the sauna may or may not help. Is it going to help with inflammation? Sure. But maybe you need a Swedish massage or learn how to breathe. And that's going to be better than heating your, your body up more. So it really depends. And what's the difference between near infrared and far infrared? Uh, the, the far infrared um, is from what I've heard is going to create more, more ions and stuff like this. I've seen anecdotally, I cannot give you as the doctor, the actual scientific basis, but I know with far infrared heat, um, it does create an ionic therapy as, as it flows through. And, and if you think about it in that sense, I mean, they say, you know, cancer, for example, you know, I, and I, this is just my, my, understanding of cancer. We think of cancer as the problem, but cancer, it, it grows in an environment that it likes to grow in. So where does cancer like to grow? In an acidic environment and, um, and an environment without oxygen. So when we get ionic therapy going on, that's going to oxygenate our blood. I'm not telling you go in a far infrared therapy thing and that's going to be your be all end all cancer treatment. However, there are studies out there that show that people have used that in con conjunction with other treatments. So my understanding is the far infrared rays will have more of an ionic therapy um, effect. I know we do a treatment here called the Biomat where the infrared therapy is going through amethyst crystals and that might be inducing the ionic effect as well. Um, but it's all about the environment it creates inside of your body. Regular heat is just putting more heat into your body and your body's having an effect. When you get the far infrared rays, that actually is, is helping with the negative ions. 
one of the ways that uh, infrared sauna helps is with heat, is that it creates heat shock proteins, which is which is very good for uh, combating free radicals. Uh, and with the near infrared, uh, where uh, it stimulates the cytochrome C oxidase, which helps with ATP. Do you have any comments about that? Well, you know, my understanding of ATP, that's just what creates energy. So, you know, it's like, it's exactly what you said. There's so many different treatments out there, but it depends on what you're coming in for. You know, I, I can imagine take a cancer patient. They need to break up free radicals, but they're probably also depleted from the cancer itself. If they're going through chemotherapy treatment, that could be very depleting, you know, on the body. So sometimes we need to, you know, heal and have an anti-inflammatory and an oxygen aiding effect. And sometimes we need to increase energy and there's going to be a time and a place even for the same person that one is going to be more um, effective than the other. One of the best benefits of infrared sauna is detoxification. Can you speak to, a little bit to that? Well, I would just say in general, uh, to me, health is not about what's coming into your body, but it's the expression of what's happening inside of your body. And at the end of the day, every chronic disease is going to be an expression or a symptom of a toxic environment in your body. And there's many different toxins that we can have. Um, toxins can be created by the food we eat, that we eat. Toxins can be created by the floor that we're walking on that we cleaned with chemicals that you'd have to call poison control if you were to drink it. So if you were to drink it, that'd be really bad because that would be a lot at once, but we don't realize that you know your skin is one of the most permeable things. We're walking on something that's toxic for 50 years and it's toxic load over time that leads to so many diseases. So literally sweating, even just going outside is gonna help us detox. But with the, the far infrared and the near infrared heat, we're gonna have even a greater effect of detoxing. And honestly, when you are getting rid of the toxins inside of yourself, you're gonna have better health outcomes. That's why they say it's even good for acne. What's a pimple other than pus of toxins coming out of your body? Um, they, they've even you know, seen some anecdotal evidence of you know, people having clearer skin after going in the saunas. So yeah, I think it would be definitely something that it doesn't matter if you are you know, sick with something or if you're just having you know, self-care treatments and you're thinking about preventative health, just living in the world we're in, we all have toxins. I eat organic for the most part when I'm home. If I go to a restaurant, I'm not saying, what did you spray your lettuce with? We're, we're breathing the air and pollution and everything else. So having a constant regimen of detoxing the body is just gonna leave you healthier and have better health outcomes. It's, it, it's, it's a concept of hormesis. It, it, you're putting stress on the body and it's causing the body to compensate, therefore making the body stronger, just like somebody who lifts weights or exercises. Yeah, I agree. And in the same way, um, health is never about one thing. You know, you, you get people who are so polar. It's like, this is what caused your cancer, or this is what caused your heart disease. It's never one thing. It could be, you know, there's smokers who never get cancer and there's people who never do, but that doesn't mean that their environment hasn't produced a toxic load on their body that they're not able to, um, you know, fight off. The same way treatment is never about one thing. I would never tell someone go in the sauna detox and that's going to cure all of your diseases. It depends on the, you know, the type of toxic load you have in your body and it's addressing multifaceted causes of diseases with multifaceted ways of self-care. And that to me is the best way to maintain health. Yeah. And, and sauna increases circulation. So it helps skin, it helps 
as you get more blood to different parts of the body, you're, you're, yeah, you're helping everything. So uh, sauna could be very, very effective. And there's a lot of research on it to show as a prevention that it's very good, like I said before, against all cause mentality and decreases the risk of a heart attack. Let's go to uh, yoga. Uh, you're an expert in yoga. Talk about Ayurveda, the whole concept of yoga, where it came from, and what Ayurveda actually is. So Ayurveda is, is basically the ancient science of preventative health care developed by Indian sages thousands of years before modern medicine. Um, I, I did one training that was based on a little bit of Ayurveda, but that hasn't been my my study as much. However, going to school for Chinese medicine, it's like in Ayurveda, we call it Marmala, marma points in Chinese medicine, we call it meridians. And you'll see that there's so much of a crossover. I would say in general, looking at Ayurveda, and I'm going to put that in the, the bracket of Eastern medicine, even though Ayurveda is different than traditional Chinese medicine, their approach is similar. They look at the body um, as a, a vessel to maintain homeostasis. And the focus is put on preventative health care more so than treating just symptoms. Um, yoga, if you think about yoga traditionally, um, I, I think it's become very mainstream now. Um, yoga traditionally, there, there was maybe a few postures, they were all seated and it was not an exercise. It was really just a way of preparing the body to sit comfortably, to watch the fluctuations of the mind. And um, I think in ancient times before all of the Wi-Fi and the extra stimulation that we have as individuals, that was very effective because people weren't so inundated with so much stimulation. Now in today's society, I don't think that most people who come in for a meditation practice, it's the most effective thing because we're so overstimulated. It's the same reason my mother went into the flow pod and the first time barely made it for 15 minutes without feeling like she's going crazy because the, the juxtaposition of her current life and where we were putting her in that flow pod was too extreme for her body to adapt right away. So when we have yoga classes with movement, even if it's an upbeat physical exercise class with music, I, I wouldn't call that traditional yoga, but I would think that's a great preparation for a lot of people. Um, it moves their body. It's a way of sweating out stress. If you're focusing on a song, instead of focusing on the 45 things on your to-do list and the things that you're reading on social media or, or the news and the state of the world, that's going to actually bridge you into a place where you could eventually get calm. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of a, a breathitarian before. There's people who never eat. They sit and they somehow live, you know? And that to me says that our nervous system is powerful. Am I that advanced? If I were to sit and not eat, I, I wouldn't die. I'd probably kill everybody around me with how much nagging I would do because I'm not that, I'm not that, that practice yet. But it does tell us that our nervous system is that powerful um, where, where it can uh, provide healing effects. Uh, what I see is the, the problem in the way that we approach health nowadays goes back to that Ayurvedic perspective. Um, in Ayurveda, we have the doshas. Uh, Of, of different diets and that would lead to a variety of different treatments. 
But at the end of the day, if you're always working on your constitution, you're probably not going to have that same expression of the disease, um, in my opinion, until it's your time to go. Because the only one known thing in this life is, you know, we're all here and we're all going to go at some point, you know? Well, tell me about the different types of yoga and how they may have different benefits. So yoga is... If you, if you really want to get into yoga, yoga is not something that you do. It's a state of being that you exist in. And that state of being in layman's terms would be the union. Yoga comes from the root word yuj, which means to yoke or unite. It's the union of the mind, body, and spirit. What I don't like when people talk about a mind, body, spirit connection, because it implies that they're three separate things. And I think for us, it's a mind, body, spirit reintegration, because we've gone through our lives to feel like those are separate aspects of ourselves, but they're not. In terms of the physical practice, you have so many different styles. People will call a class a vinyasa class. Vinyasa is a that simply means the linking of your breath with movement in your body. So in a sense, vinyasa would mean moving and breathing at the same time and using your breath as a focus for your movement. That could be any style. But when they're describing that, that's usually more of a vigorous flow type class. Uh, we teach yin yoga here um, as well, which is a it's more of a, a fascial basis in the way that you are going to be moving. All of the postures are seated. Um, in yin yoga, the brand, they held them for three to five minutes. My business partner and I are both myofascial release therapists. And we know that to get into the collagenous barrier, um, that's a scientific term for where your fascia or your connective tissue begins to open up optimally, um, you would need to hold a stretch for ideally five minutes or longer. Obviously not a stretch where you're contracting your muscles, but a relaxed stretch. So we see that um, yin yoga is very beneficial for that. It's also slower moving. So it's gonna give you more of an effect on your mind. We have restorative yoga where you're propped up on bolsters. There's no stretch at all. We get people right before the edge of the stretch and that's gonna have more of a nervous system effect. So we offer a bunch of different ways of moving your body here, depending on what you're coming in for, what the desired effect is. But at the end of the day, it's all leading you to the same place. If you open up your body and you stretch out your muscles, you can sit still more. Um, and that gives you a, a focal point to focus the mind because our, our breath is the one physical thing that we can control that bridges to our nervous system. So when we move while we're breathing, which is the foundation for any yoga practice, we are actually going to trigger a nervous system response better than going into any other exercise regimen without um, making the focus on breath igniting the movement. And how about hot yoga versus regular yoga? So my opinion with that, and, and in Bikram yoga, which is a style, there was 26 postures and you're holding them for a long time in a hot room. I can understand that there's a big detoxifying effect um, to doing that because there's so many benefits to being in heat and you're holding the postures for a long time. So if you don't overdo it, I don't think you're going to necessarily pull a muscle or anything like that. My opinion now that they have hot yoga classes with hot vinyasa, um, I personally uh, caution against that unless you're very mindful about how you're moving your body because it's when you heat up your muscles, you make them able to stretch beyond the way they would be able to stretch if they were cold. I don't mean cold in a cold room like that's like a freezer. Go.
stretch have more of a fascial effect. When you stretch in a hot room, it's going to open up your muscles and be more detoxifying. But if you want to have long-term effects in like your flexibility, stretching in a room that's not heated will be better. And then go sit in the sauna after for detox. That's my personal opinion. I also know people that have gone to hot vinyasa classes and said it saved their lives. And 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 I think that's 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 great because no one approach works for everyone. However, if you are moving vigorously in a hot room, you need to caution that you won't overstretch. And about the, the latest data I saw in 2000, 2017 data is about 14% of the population is doing yoga. So it's something that's very popular and the studies have been good. I mean, it shows that it decreases cortisol after about three months, uh, it decreases inflammatory cytokines, decreases inflammation. So there's a lot of benefits from yoga. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you think about just disease in general, it's even accepted in Western medicine at this point that stress is correlated with 99% of disease. And what does stress cause other than inflammation? Which I think even more so than stress is the cause of disease. To me, inflammation in some way is the cause of all disease. And we can affect inflammation with what we eat. We can affect inflammation with what we, um, you know, put on our bodies, even topically, so on and so forth. We can affect inflammation with what we're, um, you know, taking in our environment. We can affect inflammation with how we think because of how we think and our nervous system is going to increase cortisol in our body because we're in that fight or flight response. Then we will, um, there therefore be uh, affecting inflammation, which we see as a physical thing, but it can be something that's triggered mentally and emotionally. Well, I want to finish with acupuncture. Uh, obviously you love acupuncture, you got a degree in it. Tell us about acupuncture, how does it work and where did it start? How did it become so popular and who could it benefit? Well, this is gonna be my, my very, very layman's terms for this. Uh, traditional Chinese medicine was going on well before you and I were here or any Western medicine uh, modalities were discovered or uncovered. Um, I would say very similar to Ayurveda. These are ancient techniques. I mean, they were, you know, the, the ancient uh, needles that they were using for acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine also encompasses uh, moxibustion where you would, you know, create infrared heat with mugwort on different points, so on and so forth. This is not a, a, a direct correlation here, but what I find interesting, um, Tom Myers is, is a practitioner who is a Chinese medicine person, but he also does fascial work and structural integration. And what we're starting to see now is that our meridian lines will also correspond to our fascial lines, which also correspond to our um, nerves in our body, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and uh, I believe that in a, you can't totally explain this in a, a Western medicine way, but when you put a needle into the body, you are immediately, from the Western medicine perspective, are gonna get hormones going right there. We have dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, enkephalins. It's gonna increase circulation. It's going to trigger something in the nervous system. I mean, I'm not gonna get into like the dorsal horn of our nervous system is where we feel pain. There's going to be a sedating effect there. In terms of you know Chinese medicine, and when you get practitioners who want to speak about energy, they're going to say it's regulating your energy or your chi. And I, I think acupuncture is becoming more um, acceptable or understood in society because we're having more ways to explain it in a Western medicine uh, 
description, but to, to me, energy and your nerves and your, you know, circulatory system and your blood flow, they're not mutually exclusive of one another. They all go together. So a Chinese medicine doctor may say, this is, you know, chi coming to the area. A Western medicine doctor might say, oh, it's encephalins and serotonin and dopamine. Um, and, and maybe there's a little bit of gray area in between the two, but, um, at the end of the day, it all comes back to what I, I shared in the beginning. It regulates your nervous system. I cannot begin to tell you um, how many people I have seen uh, come in for, you know, pain or stress or digestive issues. You know, you think about your, your enteric nervous system. We have more nerves going to our gut than we do to anywhere else in the body. And then you, I mean, that could be another tangent. You think about the, the, microbiome and like the bacteria in our gut being a foundation for our immune system. If we're stressed, it's going to affect everything that's protecting us. And acupuncture, massage, sauna, float, all of it is going to have an effect on our nervous system, approaching it in a different way. And at the end of the day, that's the crux of our health. Now, I think acupuncture is becoming more uh, accepted by conventional medicine because some conventional medicine medical doctors are doing acupuncture and i think it's actually covered I, i'm not 100 percent sure you might be able to tell me but i think some some insurance companies actually cover it i think they actually just recently had even uh medicare for senior citizens will cover up to 10 treatments for for back pain um a lot of insurance companies are starting to to uh, allow acupuncture as as a treatment um it, it's becoming more mainstream because we're seeing that it is working. Um, I can say from, it, it, but again, too, it, it's never about one thing. What I think gives me leverage as someone who just graduated uh, school for Chinese medicine is working as a body worker. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I, I've seen that have been said, my doctor said I had to go for surgery. And then I I was like, all right, well, let's see if we can try this. It's not just one needle does the trick. It's not that one massage does the trick, but it's finding out what caused the dysfunction in the first place and how can we address it from the most comprehensive way. And then the, the coaching pieces and then encourage people for the other, you know, eight, uh, you know, eight days. <laughs> I think there's eight days in a week for the other six days in the week that they're not coming in for treatment. What are they doing? Because at the, the end of the day, at least musculoskeletal, most injuries are repetitive strain. It's how you're sitting. It's how you're breathing. It's like, why are you like this all day? And it might not be because your job makes you go like this. Maybe you're just sitting this way because you're stressed. And I could give you some, uh, something to listen to that's going to calm you down. And then all of a sudden, you know, you don't have to go for shoulder surgery because you're not holding your arm too tight anymore. Time and a place. There are times that I'm like, oh, well, you just uh, got into an accident. And you broke your leg. You need to go get that reset set. But a lot of times when it comes to chronic injuries, it's not something that you need to get fixed as much as you need to change your behavior and regulate the nervous system to get people to stop doing what's harming themselves. Well, I want to thank Vanessa for enlightening my audience and enlightening myself to some different types of treatments and therapies that could, that could help us. Vanessa, if people want to find out more about you, how can they do that? If you go online, uh, you, we just changed the name of the facility to Emerge Integrative Wellness. You might see us as Emerge Yoga and Wellness still on the internet. Um, our number is 516-781-1078, or you could email us at info, I-N-F-O, at emergeyw.com. Y is in yoga, W is in wellness.com. And uh, we're happy to help in any way we can. Thank you so much for having me.
Well, thank you for being here. You're just a wealth of knowledge and you have great energy. And I love this interview. And thank you for speaking with my audience. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Until next time, thank you. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.